Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Well, it's fitting this morning on the day we're honoring veterans to remind us of one of the great miracles of military history. In May 1940, at the beginning of the Second World War, the Nazis were an absolutely unstoppable force. In six weeks, they had done what was thought impossible. They took over the Netherlands, over Belgium, over Luxembourg, and France was soon to come. And Britain was the only nation left fighting. And the Germans had them pinned down on the beaches of a little town in North France called Dunkirk. 338,000 British and Allied soldiers, like sitting ducks, on the beach. And of course, this was made famous most recently in, in the Christopher Nolan film by the name of Dunkirk. And I want to put some photos up as I share about this. If you can put the first, first photo up, that one, yeah. So virtually the entire British army was facing annihilation. And as Churchill and the Navy fretted about what to do, they looked at the situation, they said the best that we can do is rescue 45,000 of the 338,000. And they called their plan Operation Dynamo. So late on the evening of Thursday, May the 23rd, King George VI decided to call for a national day of prayer and fasting on that Sunday. And you can go online, you can listen to the recording of this speech. And these are the words that struck me as I listened to the king. He said, at this fateful hour, we turn as our fathers before us have turned in all times of trial to God most high. Let us with one heart and soul humbly but confidently commit our cause to God and ask his aid. And so the next photo shows thousands of people that poured onto the streets of London uh, into Westminster Abbey to fast and pray in response to the king's call. The next day, just hours after this proclamation was issued, one of the most incomprehensible things that happened in the entire war took place. Hitler's tanks stopped. They stopped advancing. Hitler himself issued an order to stop the advance of the tanks. And to this day, I did my, my, my master's in history, and today historians still cannot come up with any good reason why he did this. The best reason that they've come up with is that he was on drugs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There's a whole book. It's called Blitzed. Completely incomprehensible. Why? Because the only nation left fighting, their, almost their entire army is pinned on a single beach, and Hitler had the opportunity to destroy all of them, and he stops his tanks. Okay? Not only that, fog and, and smoke came over the beach that stopped 
the, the Luftwaffe from being able to, to bomb. Not only that, um, the famous English Channel, which is known for being choppy and hard to navigate, it's the same channel that sunk the Spanish Armada in the 1500s, had an eerie calm for a whole week. If you look at the next photo, you can see the beach, and there's not a single wave on the horizon. Not only that, but then 800 privately owned ships, little boats, little, little yachts, set sail from the coast of England to help with the rescue effort. And from their plan of trying to rescue 45,000, they actually rescued all 338,000. In a week. <laughs> and so they called this the miracle of Dunkirk. And so the question is, was this several strokes of good luck? Was this coincidence? Or was this an answer to prayer and fasting? And of course, historians will tell you, well, we can't answer that question. And this is where I like the quote of Archbishop William Temple, who said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. <laughs> so the word dynamo, Operation Dynamo, it, it comes from the Greek word for power. And our topic today is looking at how prayer and fasting, when combined, lead to an amplification of power. And so this is the third week as we've been focusing on the practice of fasting. And we've seen how fasting, first of all, is a way to offer ourselves to Jesus. It's a way to grow in holiness. And today we're going to look at how it is an amplification of our prayers. And specifically, we're going to look at how when we combine prayer and fasting, we amplify four things. We amplify God's voice to us. We amplify our voice to God. It amplifies God's response and it amplifies our love for the world. So if you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13, we're going to read the first three verses. And as you're turning there, I'll just give you a little bit of context. So in the book of Acts, this is about halfway through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves at this great turning point in the history of the launching of the church. At the ascension, Jesus had commissioned his disciples to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And yet here we are in the 13th chapter of Acts, and they had not left really the vicinity of the Jewish world. And so this was a promise that extended to the outer reaches of the world. And in chapter 11, Peter has this vision, this, this revelation that the gospel really is for the Gentiles and it's for now. And so it's for all the, the Gentiles being the non-Jewish people of the world. And so that's chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, all this persecution breaks out. James, the brother of John, is executed. Peter is put in prison and then miraculously set free. And so the church 
This, this little church in the book of Acts, it's, it's living in dangerous times, and yet also times where they're seeing God move in power. So it begins in verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they, led, laid, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is God's word. So just like however many times of crisis in the Bible, what we see is God's power being released as his people fast and pray. As his people seek him, it was the church's instinct because this was the history of the people of God. And it was while worshiping and fasting that they heard the Holy Spirit. So the first point for us this morning is that fasting amplifies God's voice to us. Now, because this is scripture and, and, you know, it says the Holy Spirit said, I don't know what you... If you, if you try and put yourself in that situation, because it's scripture, you probably think this was some sort of audible voice. And yet, I don't think there's any reason to think that this would be any different than how we would experience the Holy Spirit speaking today. It doesn't say there was an audible voice. It says there were prophets there. In other words, the Holy Spirit speaking through people. People who are body, soul, and spirit just like us today. And so I just want you to notice that the first thing we looked at with fasting, when Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, he says, you know, fast in secret. Make sure you don't tell anybody when you fast. And so some people are afraid of telling anyone that they've ever fasted in case they lose their their blessing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But fasting more often in scripture is actually a communal thing. Much more often in scripture you see people groups um, fasting together. And here we see a church coming together, or at least a group of leaders coming together to fast. And whenever a group of people come to fast and pray together, what we notice is God's voice becomes amplified, becomes louder for us to hear. And I think there's several reasons why. All right. So we've talked about in this series already how we as human beings, we have these overlapping parts of who we are. We, we are body, soul, and spirit overlapping, each one affecting the other. And so I think there's both physical and spiritual reasons why we should expect God's voice to be amplified as we're fasting. All right, so physically, we've already seen how fasting has this powerful effect on the body physiologically, and that in turn affects our souls. But Something interesting that you'll find out as you, if, if you get into this week's course notes is that fasting actually increases our physical alertness. It actually amplifies our senses. In other, so there's a number of things here. I'll just mention two. Number one, it, it, it increases blood flow to the brain. Because when you eat, 
there's blood going to your digestive system. Well, when that's not working or when it's not being put to work, it increases blood flow to the brain. It actually increases neuroplasticity, which is your brain's ability to form new pathways, new connections. So it actually helps you think better, think clearer. And so this is, it's actually been kind of a, a productivity hack for philosophers and, and you know, writers through the centuries. There's like Silicon Valley people now who claim this as a productivity hack. But, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But we want to go further than that. <laughs> because fasting is far more than just a productivity hack when it's combined with prayer. And what's happening, so that's kind of the physical side. When you think about the spiritual side, what's happening in fasting as it's done with worship and and in devotion to God, we already saw in week one, is that it's a humbling of the soul. It's It's putting the soul in submission to the spirit. And so if you think of worship throughout scripture means to to bow before God. Well, in fasting, we are bowing our souls before God. In other words, making uh, our body and soul submissive to the spirit, which is a lowering of our pride. It it opens us up for direction. Uh, It gives us a willingness to listen And all while the body physically is in a heightened state of awareness. So you see how these overlapping things begin to contribute. And so in other words, the next point to put up is that fasting puts body and soul in an ideal state for spiritual discernment. So one of the most common reasons why people fast is to try and hear God's voice for direction, for a moment where discernment is needed. Does anyone want to hear God's voice for direction right now? So, you know, just on that note, I'll just pause quickly here to say, sometimes we apply this in in the wrong settings. In other words, there's lots of things when you want to hear God's will that you actually don't need to fast and pray for because they're already written in Scripture. So (laughs) for things where God has already spoken his will. You don't need to fast and pray about it. You just need to obey. All right. So that's just a little aside. <laughs> you don't need to fast and pray of whether you need to love your neighbor or your, your, your enemy even. But here's the thing. Okay. So when we need discernment, it's not usually between good and evil. It's usually between good and best. Those are the times when we feel like we need, and and, and we do need to hear God's uh, voice. And so here we see the church in in the book of Acts. uh, They've just had this revelation through Peter that the gospel really is for the whole world, but they're facing danger. So in that kind of situation, what do we do, Lord? Do we hide? Do we protect ourselves from the, the, the persecution, which sometimes is the right answer? Or do we go out in boldness and preach this gospel? And so they're coming to the Lord. I think they're coming to the Lord asking for direction and the Holy Spirit speaks. And I I don't know if you caught this in the, the reading there. So it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. All right. So they were, they were worshiping and fasting and the Holy Spirit spoke. Then it says, 
they prayed and fasted, then they laid hands on them and sent them out. So they hear the Spirit, and they pray and fast again, or they continue to, I think, in order to discern the rightness of what they thought they were hearing. Right? So this is sometimes a step that gets skipped, where, you know, as charismaniacs, we, we love to hear that that's, that's like a substream of the church that, that we happen to be a part of, if, you, if you're not aware. Where we, we, we love the Holy Spirit. We love to listen to the Holy Spirit, seek the Holy Spirit. And that is just as it should be, I believe. But sometimes we can so individualize that, that we think we hear something, or maybe we do hear something, and we just run with it. When actually, what we need to do, what, what Scripture actually commands us to do, is to test and weigh prophecy, hold on to what's good, and then act on it. And so you may hear from the Holy Spirit individually, but I think actually what Scripture gives us the model for is that the Holy Spirit's word in prophecy is best discerned corporately, not only on our own. That's the reason why when we're seeking discernment, when we're seeking spiritual direction, especially when it's a, a, you know, a, a big decision or it's some life-altering decision, God puts us in the midst of a body of believers to discern those things together. To discern together. Because sometimes we need input from other people because that, that very individual, very subjective often experience, we are open to error. We're prone to, it's not that the Holy Spirit gets things wrong, but we are fallible. We can misinterpret. And so that's just a little bit of the wisdom that we are called to apply as a church. Even, you know, this morning we saw some prophetic words, some some words of exhortation coming out, and we have elders in every meeting who are, are given the authority to judge and weigh whether those words are for the whole body. So there's this mix of freedom and order for the sake of love, all right? So just a little explanation of why we do what we do. That wasn't even in my notes, but that one's for free. (laughs) (laughs) We are fallible as individuals. I think we are less fallible as a body. Of course, we're still fallible, but we're less fallible when we discern together, all right? So, The church fasted and it prayed because it heard the Spirit. It had the wisdom to discern the move of the Spirit together. And then they send Paul and Barnabas into this mission that you know the rest, if if you've read the rest of the story, you know that it transformed history. This mission into the Gentile world set off this, this global movement that we call the church. It changed the course of history. And so this is what we see as prayer and fasting are combined. Prayer gets turned up to 11. (laughs) That's just a little musician joke. In other words, the next point, fasting amplifies our voice to God. So we see the church here fasting to hear God, but also fasting to be heard by God. And whenever the people of God have faced seemingly impossible odds, 
they've prayed and fasted. And what you see here, and what you see in all those situations is that there is a, there's an element of breakthrough that seems to be attached to prayer when combined with fasting. Leads to breakthrough. I think we saw a couple weeks ago that part of this, part of the reason for that, I think, is that fasting is starving the source of our unbelief, which is our flesh, which is our soul. It's starving the source of our unbelief so that we can pray in greater faith. And so when you're facing stubborn problems, when you're facing addictions, when you're facing things about yourself that you want to change, but you seem unable to change, fast. When you're facing things in relationships or in circumstances in your life that seem impossible, that seem that that are just far beyond what you're able to change and you want breakthrough, fast. There's some, there's some marriages in our church that are on life support right now. And I want to encourage you to fast, to see breakthrough in your relationship or in yourself. What could God do in that space that is beyond your power to do, that you have no hope in yourself to do if you would seek him and fast? So this is a spiritual dynamic that we see in scripture and in history. I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you this, really. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. All right, so you ask, okay, well, why? <laughs> why does it make sense, or, or why in the world would God somehow listen to us more when we fast? How is it different than any other time? Doesn't God know everything, and isn't he able to hear every prayer? And I think sometimes, we've mentioned this earlier in the series, I think sometimes when we approach fasting, it can be with this little bit, because we know that it's often attached to breakthrough and these you know, miraculous things in scripture and in history, sometimes we can approach it, well, like, well, if I fast, then God's going to have to do something. Somehow my fasting is going to be really impressive or I don't know, uh, somehow by me fasting, God's going to have to do this. And when we look at fasting, we can easily fall into that pattern of thought. God must do this. Or maybe we say, well, of course God doesn't have to do it, but it's going to pressure him to do it. And I want to say, you know, my view is the creator God of the universe does not have to do anything because you skipped lunch. I don't think he feels particularly pressured to do anything because you didn't eat that sandwich or whatever. I don't think that's what it's about at all. So what is it? Well, the point I want to put up here is that fasting is not a hunger strike against God. It's hunger for relationship with God. God is not a genie. God is not a magical source of power that you can draw upon when you want to change something or make someone love you. God is God. And he is relational. And so all of how he operates is relational, not transactional. Relational. God desires relationship. 
And over and over again in scripture, the promise is that we will find him when we seek him with all our hearts. And so fasting is simply a means of seeking him with all our hearts. It's about relationship, not transaction. And I believe another thing that you see often attached to uh, um, fasting throughout history is revival. I think this might be why fasting is often a precursor to revival. When a people declare a hunger for God, like the book of James says, when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You see it in history. You see it in scripture too. Earlier this year, we did a series on Jonah and this evil, horrible empire and the city of Nineveh. And Jonah was sent to declare destruction. And what happens? They, They turn to God and they fast and they pray. Even the animals fast. And so God, God's heart shifts towards them. He relents from the disaster that he was going to visit on them. So you see it in scripture. You also see it in history. If you look at the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards wrote about the fasting that was occurring as the Great Awakening began. You, you can see it in, in English history with the Methodist movement. When the, when the French were threatening to invade, they called the day of fasting and prayer and the, the invasion never happened. And so all these times, and, and of course the Methodist movement was this huge not only social revival, but spiritual revival across the British Empire. And so the result of all this, just to sum this up, is that fasting amplifies God's response. You look at Paul's mission that he was sent out to by the church in Acts, and we know that it changed the course of history. So world events have often been changed by a people willing to fast and pray. But I also want to say that the course of life events have also often been changed by a person willing to fast and pray. I want to encourage you to listen to, there's there's a podcast that goes along with each of these weeks. We're following a series by a ministry called Practicing the Way. And there's a podcast that goes along with that called the Rule of Life Podcast. Episode two of the fasting series, you get to hear the amazing story of John Mark Comer and his wife, Tammy Comer, And Tammy Comer had always been a very, uh, well, she she had this feeling since she was a child that she would die young, this thing that she couldn't shake. So she just, she had this kind of knowledge that she would die young. And they, they tell the story that on their wedding day, John Mark looked at her coming down the aisle and he had this premonition, I'm marrying a woman who's going to die young. And he kind of carried that in his heart for a long time. You know, that's not a, kind of thing you want to think of on your wedding day. So a few years into their marriage, Tammy starts to get sick. Very, very sick. Debilitatingly sick. She's having spasms in her face. She can't get out of bed. And and the doctors have no idea what's causing it. They can't figure it out. Some unexplainable neurological condition, and it started to become life-threatening. So in the midst of that time, they're, they're praying, they're trying to figure out what's going on here. And it just so happened that her brother was doing some family history research and found out that her great-grandmother in Mexico City 
had a curse put on her. And the curse was specific. There was some affair that happened in the family and someone was angry and put a, like saw a, a person uh, who, you know, does curses and they, they cursed the great-grandmother's family that every firstborn daughter of her bloodline would be severely sick or die young. And you think, well, you know, really? Does that stuff really happen? Does that stuff really work? And, you know, that's how they thought. They, they were like, well, you know, I don't know how to deal with that. And they looked at their family history and looked at every single branch of the family that came down from that great-grandmother and every single firstborn daughter had either died young in an accident or some random event or was extremely ill. And so they started saying, oh man, I guess we should pay attention to this. So they knew a person that, that, that worked in kind of deliverance prayer. And they said, hey, would you, would you help us with this and kind of pray to break off these curses? We don't know what we're doing. We're, we're kind of like more conservative Christians that we've never done any of this stuff. He says, sure, but what I want you to do is fast for three days together before you come see me. So they do. They go to see this guy. And she says, they tell the story way better than me, but she says on the way into the room to see this guy, all of a sudden her face starts spasming like crazy, uncontrollably. And they're praying with this guy. And he, she said it was very, it wasn't like this big showy, you know, emotive thing. It was just this very, if anyone's ever done RTF, restoring the foundations, this is, this is exactly what this is like. You identify certain things in your past and you just, in a very, lawyerly manner, break it off. I renounce that. I don't agree with that. You break the power of that and it's done. So she said, we did that over this curse and all of a sudden her face stopped spasming and she walked out of that room and she's been healthy ever since. And, you know, I know dozens of stories like this of people I, I know. And so, I mean, one of the things in the Christian life is, you know, some of these things that you, you, you find a bit outlandish, once you experience them in your own life, you know this stuff is very real. It's very real. And so this is the point I want to make with that. I said that, that fasting is not a hunger strike against God, but you know what it is? It is a hunger strike against evil. Fasting is a hunger strike against evil. It is an act of spiritual warfare. And so think of, you know, Gandhi in, in his hunger strike against the British Empire and the oppression of, of, of that colonial rule. That was an act of nonviolent resistance. Well, what if the same is happening as we fast in the spiritual realm? An act of resistance to the forces, the powers of darkness. It's a stand against evil. And I want to say in two ways, it's a stand against evil, the evil that's within us. So our own flesh, we talked about fasting as growing in holiness. Well, fasting is a way to fight the, the sinful impulses of your own flesh, to be freed from those things. But it's also a stand against spiritual powers, spiritual powers that seek to control and influence your life. And so for all the reasons that we've seen before, physically, soulishly, spiritually, fasting is preparation for spiritual warfare. And I think in itself, it is spiritual warfare. And so one encouragement to you is as, 
as you begin fasting as a practice, don't be surprised if things start coming up. If the flesh starts coming up in a stronger way, if all of a sudden things that the enemy has wanted to do in your life start getting a little stronger, because this is a threat to him. It's a threat to the enemy and his purposes. And so it's a threat not only to the sin in your life and ways that the enemy wants to influence your life, but it's also, on a, on a bigger scale, it's a threat to evil itself, to injustice in the world around us. And so what we see also is fasting amplifies God's voice to us, our voice to God. It amplifies God's response, but it also amplifies our love. In all that we've been looking at with fasting, there's this danger that we can make it kind of internal and and just individual. It's bigger than that. So the church in Acts, as we read, it fasted and, and prayed, and the result was what? They laid hands on the best, you know, Paul and Barnabas, the best apostles that they had, they laid hands on them and they sent them out. Why did they send them out? For the sake of the love of the Gentiles, of the nations who were perishing, right? So the fasting and prayer, it led to a hearing of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it led to a need to discern the Holy Spirit's will But then it also, it didn't stop there. It didn't just say, you know, oh, well, great. You know, it set them apart for a purpose that was bigger than themselves. And so in scripture, what we see is true fasting always leads to greater love. Especially for the suffering and needy. I'm preempting next week's topic because we have a guest speaker next week and and he's going to be doing something different. But I encourage you, if you're in your practice groups, to still finish it out because it's a really necessary and, and powerful topic for the next week, which is fasting as solidarity with the poor. But when you look through scripture, you see that true fasting is always um, an avenue to greater love, especially for the suffering and needy. And the point is, I like how one preacher put it. He said that that going without food by choice puts us in touch with the millions of people around the world who regularly go without food without choice, not by choice. And so if you remember back to Isaiah 58 that we mentioned earlier on in this series, Isaiah 58 is just ringing in my ears as we we begin to draw this, this practice series to a close because it draws together the three elements that we've been focusing on, Sabbath and prayer and fasting. And Isaiah 58 rebukes the people of Israel for what? When you read it, it starts like it's, it's great. They're fasting, they're praying, they're going to church, they're worshiping, they, they're hungry to know my ways, they delight to be in my presence, it says. But God says, there's something lacking all of your churchy stuff is not leading to greater love. And so we read it before talking about Sabbath, but I, I want to read this again as we begin to draw this to a close, just, just as a call to us as a church for obedience. 
that if all of these things that we've been doing for the last three months, I want them to lead to an explosion of, of personal growth in your individual life. But I also think we will be missing the boat if this does not lead to a greater love in our corporate life, in a greater concern for the world around us, our neighborhoods, our neighbors. And so this should not result. It's interesting when you look at church data, learning spiritual practices is is probably the single most important thing. If you've been a Christian for a little while and you feel stalled in your growth, the spiritual disciplines will launch you into a new season of growth. So that's really important for a lot of us here, okay? But if all that it leads to in the end is just a more self-indulgent spirituality, if it doesn't lead to a greater compassion, a greater heart for the Lord, sorry, well, for the Lord, but also for the people that the Lord cares so much about, then ultimately it's futile. So I want to read these words of Isaiah 58. Just listen to the words of the prophet. He says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. And this is where everything looks great. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. This is the people speaking. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the days of your fast, you were seeking your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noon day. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, 
the restorer of streets to dwell in. What a powerful challenge and set of promises. And just to sum that up, I like how one preacher put it, that how you treat people on Monday is the test of authenticity of your fasting on Sunday. And so to sum this up, when we turn to God, he turns to us and then turns us to our neighbor. And that's why in Christian history, fasting has always gone hand in hand with generosity, with almsgiving. Basil the Great, the fourth century bishop of Caesarea, he encouraged, uh, I kind of like this idea. He encouraged his flock to calculate what they would have spent on their food on the days that they fasted and they would fast twice a week, calculate what that was and then give it to someone in need. Really simple way to put action to that challenge of Isaiah. And so maybe that means the money that you might have spent. Maybe it's the food itself that you might have eaten. Maybe it's the time that you would have spent shopping and preparing and cooking and eating that could be given to someone else in need. Maybe it's just Venmoing someone that you know has a medical bill on that day to help them. But putting into action and getting creative with how you can turn this fast, not only, from, not only as something internal, but something that stands with a person in need. And so we're finishing this season, this, this few weeks talking about fasting. Interestingly, leading into the greatest season of feasting in our yearly calendar. <laughs> two weeks, you know, not even two weeks, we have Thanksgiving and then, and then Christmas. And, you know, coincidence? I, I, I wonder what the Lord has for us in this. Because one thing I know is that <laughs> We, we won't learn to truly feast because feasting is its own discipline, spiritually speaking, but we can't learn to feast until we've learned to fast. We can't learn to appreciate and to thank God for all that he's given us unless we, we are able to learn what it might be like to not have those things, to choose to lay them aside for a time to grow in our gratitude for him. And so I'm praying that our feasting this year would be all the sweeter. It would be all the more full of true thanks, all the more true of, you know, full of true celebration in, in Advent and Christmas. And as we practice fasting this week in our groups, I want to I issue a call that every one of us who is medically able to fast, to fast this week, not the whole week, one day, from sunup to sundown. You know, we're entering into winter, so you get it kind of easy right now. It's a good good time to to, to try this, all right? But I just want to issue this challenge for everyone who is, and I will say this again, medically able. So if you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, right? If If you have any other kind of 
eating disorder or medical condition, I'm not talking to you. Maybe there's some other kind of thing that you can abstain from to, to be involved. But, but all of us who are medically able, I want to put this challenge out to fast for one day and focus on how it amplifies our prayers. And to be specific, let's, can we do Friday? I'm going to put that out there for Friday. All right? And specifically to pray for this tragic, impossible situation in the Middle East right now. In Israel, Palestine, there's unspeakable suffering. There's unspeakable just hatred. There's this intractable complexity of problems and claims and narratives. And so this, this is beyond human solving and ingenuity. We need to see God move. We need to see God bring peace and in a moment where the thought of healing and reconciliation seems impossible, that's exactly the time to turn to God and say, God, we need you. We need you to move in, in, in this situation. And so I'm, I, I'm calling for a day together as a community, as a church, and McCungie's joining us online right now, so this goes out to you as well. You don't get out of it. Calling as a, a, a day as a church this Friday, would you fast with me and together and specifically pray into this situation and ask God to respond and to bring his power to to do the impossible, what seems impossible from our perspective. So let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we'll, we'll end with a song. But Father God... We just turn to you right now. As we look at the discipline of fasting, Lord, we thank you that as we look at scripture, we look at history, we we see that when your people pray and fast, you love to draw near and to move among them. So Father, I pray as we turn our hearts to you right now, this week, as we will spend even just a day to devote ourselves to pray and to seek your power, Father God, that you would move in power. As we pray specific prayers, Lord, would you give us specific responses? Come, Holy Spirit. Transform us. May we hear your voice. May we be able to discern your voice. May you move in power in ways that are far beyond us that we would be able to see them and say, God has spoken. God has moved. And God, would you transform our hearts into a greater compassion, a greater love for those in suffering, for those in need, for those around us who are distant from you. Fill us more and more with your heart, Lord God, that we would be launched into your mission, just like Paul and Barnabas. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.